well, uh, I want to have all the kids that are able to stand in the aisle. If you can, kiddos, if you want to stand in the aisle, it's all right. It's okay, stand in the aisle. I know you don't usually do this at church, but you can stand in the aisle with us. I want you to do something for me. Do a couple jumping jacks right now, all right? Just do a couple jumping jacks. All right, come on, just get into it. Yeah, 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 all right. Thank you for doing that. Today we're talking about songs. Stay in the aisle, stay in the aisle, stay in the aisle. Today we're talking about songs. We're continuing the idea of songs teaching us lessons. How many of you sing songs in class at school? Raise your hand. I'm sure you sing songs like even the ABC is a song, right? How many you guys know, know songs? All right, okay. What song do you remember the most from school? And, and you can shout it out in church as loud as you want. And even you adults, if you remember some songs from school when you were in elementary school, go ahead and shout those songs out. Little Bunny Foo Foo. That, does that teach a lesson? One that teaches a lesson. I guess that bunnies are running through the forest. That's, that's important to know. Any other songs that you know? Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> Any song, like how many of you have ever sung the ABC song, right? Did that help you learn the ABCs? Yeah, you can know the ABCs because of a song. Now, I want to share with you kids one of my children's favorite songs to learn, where they learned this during quarantine, and then even Liam started singing the song. It was for Amelia to learn the continents. And maybe you've heard this song, maybe you don't, uh, but this song was ringing through our house like through March, April, May, June, July, and August, and we took a pause from it, and then this last couple months they've been singing it again, even Liam singing this song all around the house. So I want you to listen to this song, and then after you hear the song, you can go ahead and sit down, but it's for you kids and parents, if you don't remember your continents, this might help you as well. The world is split up into continents, there are seven in all And if you get the gist, we're gonna make a list from biggest to small They are Asia, Africa, North and South America Antarctica, Europe Finally, Australia, Asia, Africa, North and South America, Antarctica, Europe, and finally, Australia. Hey, my name is Asia, and more than half of the world lives here, but whatever. And I am Africa with desert for miles, and my Nile is the longest river. North America, start down in Panama, wide open spaces all the way to Canada. I'm South America with animals galore, where the rainforest grows, cause the rain really pours. I'm on Africa, and I'm totally ours. And I'm Europe, you're welcome, for the pasta, pizza, waffles, and fries. Australia, some call me Oceania. I got a lot of islands, too many to explain to ya. We are Asia, Africa, North and South America, Antarctica, Europe, and finally Australia. Australia. 
You see, songs teach us lessons. Now, many of you probably now remember your continents. How many of you kids sang this song this, this, this year in school? No? None of you? All right, well, now you'll learn your continents, and adults, like I said, you're probably remembering those wonderful continents. Uh, but this song, the whole thing, I mean, they can sing and recite the entire song because it's catchy. Some of these, these songs that we sing have a catchy tune, and we can remember them. And, and one of the reasons I'm sharing that story is, A, to engage the children, obviously, with a song that's going to teach them something, but also to look at the songs of the Savior. We're going to be looking at the song of Zechariah. And we saw the song of Mary last week and saw that she taught us lessons on worship. And now we're going to see from the song of Zechariah, he teaches us lessons on Advent. His song might not be as catchy in English as it would have been in the original language, as memorable as it would have been in the original language, but it's still a song that can teach us many lessons, a song that was sung spontaneously. And you know, many times we can get in the holiday rut where we forget the lessons of Advent. We sometimes don't remember how beautiful and how wonderful and how incredible Christmas really is. We can get in that rut of the holidays, especially maybe this year, where there's all kinds of things that are different and frustrating, and we forget the lessons of Advent. Zechariah's song will teach us this beautiful reality. We stop allowing the wonder of Christmas to bring a passion of excitement. But Christmas should continually create within us a mystified curiosity. We're saying, what is going on in Advent? What really is the incarnation? And this should happen not just during the Christmas season, but this should be a curiosity that we have throughout our lives. I have fully believed and will continuously say that the mystery of the incarnation is the, the, the most difficult theological reality to grasp. It is really hard to say, man, I can understand resurrection. You know, someone died and came back to life. I don't know how God did it, but I can con- cognitively understand it. But when it comes to the incarnation, it is mysterious. It is something that should continuously draw us back to the curiosity of God. How did he do that? Why did he do that? Christmas should continually create within us a mystified curiosity. Being too familiar with Christmas, familiarity with Christmas, can can create a lack of curiosity. Because we're so familiar. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, I remember that. But just pretend for a moment... (laughs) that you've not heard the story. Pretend for a moment that you're curious about the lessons of Advent. Because Zechariah's song teaches us some lessons that are different than maybe we are used to in the idea of the Advent. So the question that we're going to look to answer is, what can Zechariah's song teach us about Advent? What can his song teach us that maybe we've never Known. What can Zechariah's song remind us the lessons that we need to remember during this, this mysterious time? So we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, 62 through 79. And it's a big chunk of passage. His song is a long song. And we have to go back and understand where the song came from. So Luke chapter 1, 62 through 79. The word of the Lord. And they made signs to his father, that's Zechariah, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. That's his son. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. 
And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? That's John the Baptist. For the hand of the Lord was with him. And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, or singing, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of of their sins because of the tender knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace into the way of peace i believe that zechariah's song will give us six lessons Six lessons that you and I can learn about Advent. What are the six lessons? Well, the first lesson that we learn is the lesson of suffering. Because suffering has potential to strengthen us spiritually. You might not think of Advent and suffering. You might connect suffering to the cross, but when it comes to Advent, really there's suffering? There's suffering that happened in the story of Advent? Yes, there is. If you look at Mary and Joseph, they were derided for this this pregnant woman. Maybe she was pregnant by Joseph and he was pretending like she slept with someone else. And Mary was looked at as someone who had slept with someone else. There's this sense of derision that they experienced. And they had to travel while she was very pregnant. A long way sitting on a donkey. Now, those of you ladies who have been pregnant, riding in the heat on a donkey, you would probably say, that's a lot of suffering. We guys are like, what's the big deal? (laughs) Right, but there's suffering that went into that. There's suffering when Joseph was about ready to leave his wife. He thought he had to divorce her. So he had suffering in that moment. Zechariah himself had suffering as well. Look at his story. If you go back a little bit, Zechariah is a priest, and he he was cast by lots to go into the Holy of Holies, to go into a place that for many priests was dangerous. They had to put a bell around the leg of the priest in case he passed out and died. It would jingle. They'd have to pull him out because the glory of God was so powerful. It's also an honor to be able to go do this. And so Zechariah probably had some fear and delight at the same time. He was a righteous man, we see. But when he goes into the presence of God, he is told that he will have a son. He's told that a son will come, but there's doubt in his mind. There's doubt and fear, and he expresses that doubt, and he expresses that fear, and immediately he is made mute. God shuts his mouth. Now, that might not be suffering for his wife, but that was suffering for him. 
I like to talk a lot, and I can't imagine being made mute immediately, especially because of something that I had done. So he suffered through this time of, of being mute. But we can see that this suffering changed Zechariah. Zechariah was changed. One commentator says it like this. Being mute traumatized Zechariah and propelled him into a desperate search for God in the word and prayer. When he was healed nine months later, he emerged a totally different man. Instead of questioning God and speaking words of unbelief, he broke out in a prophetic song. Bach, my favorite commentator, says, The sign of silence worked. He, even as an already righteous man, learned to trust God's word even more. In the midst of this suffering, Zechariah pursued the face of God. He wondered through this pain of what he had done and the doubt that he had, but his wife was pregnant, and she was continuously pregnant. There was no miscarriage. This was a surprise and a shock to many because she shouldn't have had a child at her age. She was a barren woman all her life until this moment. And so Zechariah was going to the word of God and through prayer. And in the end, he was a different person. He shouted with joy on a tablet. His name is John. And then the Holy Spirit opened his mouth and he began to sing a song. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think the first thing that would happen if I was mute for nine months, I don't think I'd want to sing a song. But he sings a song. And I'm reminded of musicals. Have you ever watched musicals where there's dialogue that's going on and then boom, someone breaks out in a song and you're like, that's really awesome, that's fantastic, but that doesn't happen in real life. I mean, I don't know if you've ever walked down the road and someone just started singing a random song to you. Probably not. But here, Zechariah sings a song of joy. There were lessons that were being taught to Zechariah in this time. It's once said that we all suffer or are suffering or will suffer. Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is something that you and I cannot escape, no matter how much we want to. Because of the brokenness of man, suffering exists in our world. Right now, we are in a continuous state of suffering. Many of us are suffering from a loss of job. Many of us are suffering from our small business, which is dwindling in its finances. Many of us are wondering through, when will this be done? Will the vaccine actually work? Many of us are suffering because all the life has changed. We have to, to change how we approach going to the store. We have to change how we approach coming to church. Things like junior church have to push pause because of this life that we're living in 2020. We're all suffering or about to suffer or have suffered. But there are lessons in suffering that God desires to teach us. That's why I say suffering has the potential. Suffering has the potential to grow us spiritually. Zechariah allowed his suffering to grow him spiritually. The Lord's lessons in the middle of suffering redeem our suffering. The Lord's lessons in the middle of suffering redeem our suffering. As believers, there is no suffering that will not ultimately be healed. Did you catch that? As believers, there is no suffering that will not ultimately be healed. When we go to heaven, all of our suffering will cease. 
When we are with the Lord and gathered up into the clouds with him, all suffering will be done. That's something we have to keep in our minds as we're suffering. Because the enemy wants to say there's nothing you can learn in this suffering except anxiety, fear, and pain. There's nothing that this suffering is doing except ruining you. And many people allow suffering to turn them away from Christ rather than to Christ. But the story of Advent shows us that suffering happens and that we can learn lessons in suffering. Our suffering can be redeemed. Even here on earth, what are the lessons that God is trying to teach you? The lesson that God was trying to teach Zechariah in the midst of his suffering is trust in the Lord. The doubt that he displayed changed from doubt into certainty. He was certain of who John was. He was certain of what John would do. I said we can see six lessons from Zechariah's song. And the second lesson that we can learn is the lesson of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit passionately proclaims the presence of Christ. Passionately proclaims the presence of Christ. Look at the song. It is a passionate pursuit of display of who the Messiah would be. He also talks about who his son will be in light of who the Messiah will be and what his son's job will be. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit could inspire this song. Jesus himself says that the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. By whatever means the Holy Spirit does that, That's his goal, to glorify Christ. And here we see the Holy Spirit in Zechariah passionately proclaiming the presence of Christ. Christ came. Jesus is God incarnate who stepped down and came. The Holy Spirit alone can proclaim that. The Holy Spirit alone alone can proclaim that in your life. I can't say this enough. You and I as believers need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. If we want to glorify Christ in our lives as Zechariah did through song, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires to use us. And we see this in the Advent. We see it throughout the Old Testament But we don't usually think of the Holy Spirit showing up in this moment. But he does. And he uses Zechariah to proclaim the truth of Christ. That Christ will come. Because at this point, Mary had not given birth to Jesus yet. But he sees the future. And that's why it says that Zechariah prophesied. The Holy Spirit filled him. And he prophesied about what was to come. And we know that his prophecy came true. He burst out with song. The Holy Spirit inspired him to sing. Again, think of that musical. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was the one who caused him to bust out in song. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit do that to you, to glorify Jesus? As we sing songs of worship, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to bring that from your very soul? We saw that yesterday, or last week rather, the soul of Mary proclaimed It was from her very inner being that she worshiped the Lord. And we see the same thing happening because the Holy Spirit was on Zechariah. 
You and I need the Holy Spirit. Zechariah's song gives us six lessons. And the third lesson is the lesson of incarnation. Because the incarnation radically altered the course of humanity. Evans, a commentator, says the key word in this verse is the verb to visit. In the NIV, it has come. And in the Septuagint, that is the Greek New Testament, this word often occurs in reference to God's gracious visitation of his people. Again, through this song, we are reminded of God's grace. Through Jesus coming, we see the epitome of God's grace, that he would step down from glory and step into humanity. Again, this idea of the incarnation always and consistently blows my mind. And the Greek word there, when it says that he came down, when it says to visit, it also means to be present. Christ came to be present. The incarnation means with flesh on. He came concarne, if you will, with flesh to be present. He is present with us, even now. But he stepped down out of glory to take on humanity. He who is all-powerful stepped down and became powerless as a baby. The mystery of the incarnation, I believe, should continuously put us on our knees to say, how and why? And that leads us to see Christ as our Savior. That leads us to see the reality and the beauty of Advent. Here we see Zechariah singing of the incarnation, that he had visited us. I love how Tozer puts it. He said, the coming of Jesus Christ into this world represents a truth more profound than all of philosophy. For all of the great thinkers of the world together could never produce anything that could even come remotely approach the wonder and the profundity disclosed in the message of these words. He came. How powerful. Just those two words should transform our lives. He came. There is nothing more profound in all of history. And we know why he came, to bring salvation. We know why he came, to die and raise again, to conquer Satan, sin, and death. But the fullness of the mystery of those two words, he came to be present with us. He visited us should continuously draw us to worship. Because there is no philosophy that could ever come close, as Tozer said, could ever come close to the beauty of the incarnation. It's not even something that we would fully think of. Even in Greco-Roman gods, they came to abuse humanity. They came to take advantage of humanity. They came to show off in humanity. And we see this consistently with historical gods. Their coming to earth was not to, to lift up man, but it was to lift up themselves. 
Now we know that they were false gods or not real gods, that that didn't really happen. But in those stories, there was no idea, no inclination that a God would come and sacrifice himself for all of humanity in the way that Jesus did. It is audacious. It is what sets us apart from all other religions. He came. If we step back and think and pretend as we had never heard this story, and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with this passion and joy of His incarnation, it will change the season in your life. It will give you the ability to look and say, I can allow the lessons of God to redeem my suffering because even the suffering of Jesus, the brutal death, was redeemed and has redeemed me for all eternity. There is no suffering that cannot be redeemed because of the incarnation. Zechariah's song, again, gives us six lessons. And I believe the fourth lesson is the lesson of redemption. Advent is a display of God's power and desire to ensure our redemption. Bach says it this way, What Messiah's visitation means for God's people is redemption. Look at verse 68 and 69 again. Zechariah proclaims, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. His purpose in coming was redemption, to redeem your soul, to redeem your suffering, to redeem all things, to restore all things to the way it was meant to be. And it is a display of his power. The advent that we celebrate is a display of the power and the desire of God for redemption. That phrase, that horn of salvation, gives imagery and a picture of a warrior. Jesus as a baby, can you imagine that that moment that he became a baby was a warrior moment? And we don't think about that. We think, oh, he was just a baby. But as he was born, because he came, it was a moment of a warrior bringing the horn of salvation. Now this imagery comes where the, all of the animals in the time that, that were warrior type animals had horns that would pierce those who they were trying to kill and eat. They would pierce those who would try and come at them. And so the horn was an area of salvation for that animal. And some, as you see in Viking lore, would take the horns of the animals that they killed and put them upon their helmet. It wasn't a fashion statement. It's not something that was like, oh, look at how, how nice my hat is. It was a statement of saying, I'm a warrior. I took down this animal with these horns, and I am going to go into battle, and I am going to destroy those who come before me because I have the horns of my salvation. Now, that was humanity trying to save itself, but that imagery that we miss because we don't understand horns of salvation, that imagery was Zechariah saying that this is a moment of power, This is a moment of a baby being a warrior. What is about to happen will wage war against the enemy. Bach, again, gives us some insight. He said the redemption in view here is a deliverance from enemies so that God's people are free to serve their God in righteousness and holiness. Redemption is release to a redeemer 
who frees. A redeemer who frees. We are now free to be with him. We're now free to be in his presence where we were blocked from the presence of God. Christ, because he came in power, made a way. Wiersbe says it this way. In the previous picture, the captives were set free. But in this picture, the enemy is defeated so that he cannot capture more prisoners. It means total victory for the people of God. Because he came, you and I have total victory over the enemy. Not because of anything we've done, but simply because he came. Advent was an act of war upon the enemy of our souls. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus coming was an act of war. He said, you know what, enemy? Your days are numbered. The flesh that you tempt man with and the sins that you convince man that they are to, to sin, the sinful nature of man that happened in the garden, your days are numbered. This little baby is going to destroy you. And that's why Herod sought to destroy the baby. Because the enemy thought, if I can get him now before he's a grown man, then, then God doesn't win. This, this whole thing can be over before it began. It was an act of war. He was laying in a manger, and that was an act of war. Think about that. A baby being an act of war, but that is what Advent was. Jesus, in that moment, had already won the battle. Jesus has never lost a battle. COVID-19 is not a battle lost to Jesus. And we can't forget that. There's never been a battle that Jesus has ever lost. The fifth lesson that we can learn from the song of Zechariah is the lesson of light. And we see that he proclaims this beauty of the light of God from Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, which we'll read in a moment. But Advent shines light into the darkness of humanity. Advent shines light in the darkness of humanity. Zechariah proclaimed, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, talking about John. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God where the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Jesus' coming was the coming of a sunrise. In Greek, it could also mean dawn. It was the dawn of a new day. <laughs> the darkness that was so prevalent in the world was about to get destroyed by the light of Messiah. That he would bring light to the darkness. That he would show the way to God. That through him we could find salvation. That through the Messiah, through Jesus, we could get out of darkness and walk into light. I don't know about you, but maybe you've walked around in darkness and you've tripped a couple times. I found a new painful thing as, that's more painful than stepping on Legos. It's a Beyblade spinner. 
If you've seen a Beyblade spinner, they have these two little prongs that stick up and you put this Beyblade circle top on it and you spin it. But when it's standing up like this, these two prongs, they're really painful. And so I walked into a room in darkness and I stepped on Liam's Beyblade spinner and it hurt more than I could ever imagine. But that's what darkness does. We don't see what's before us. But Messiah, Messiah brings light. Jesus' birth brought on the dawn of a new day. A dawn of a new day because Advent shines light into the darkness. Wiersbe says it like this, Dayspring means sunrise. The people were sitting in darkness and death and distress gripped them when Jesus came. But he brought the light of life and peace. It was the dawn of a new day because of the tender mercies of God. Again, the dawn of the new day came because of the mercies of God. Are we allowing the mercy of God to wash over us during this season? Recognizing that even just waking up is a mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Every dawn of every new day, His mercies are refreshed over you because you see the dawn. Jesus coming, Advent, was the dawn of a new day. The beginning of the enemy's death and our newness of life brings light. Tozer says this, God became man in order to rescue sinful man. This he did by forfeiting his own life that he might bring back to God again those who revolted. We can never forget that you and I, in and of ourselves, revolt against God. We walk in darkness. In and of ourselves, we will consistently step on Beyblade spinners. <laughs> we will consistently find ourselves falling flat on our face. We will consistently find ourselves stepping on pain because of our own doing. But because of the dawn of the new day, because of the dawn of Jesus' birth, we no longer have to walk in darkness. We no longer have to be tripped up by sin and temptation. You and I, we can walk in the light of Advent. We see this also in Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah was bringing us to this moment of the dawn of the new day. Isaiah was proclaiming the light of Jesus' birth. And that's why Zechariah brings back to memory Isaiah 9. In his song, he's proclaiming the word of God. This is why when I said in the midst of suffering, he was preparing himself. God was, was drawing him closer to himself and he was in prayer and he was in the word. He was allowing the word of God to wash over him, to change him, to transform him, to bring him back to a place of trusting the Lord. And he proclaimed the word of God from Isaiah 9. That this is the dawn of the new day. His light will shine on the darkness. Zechariah's song gives us six lessons. And the sixth lesson is the lesson of peace. Because Advent ushered in a transformative 
and powerful peace. How many of you need peace in 2020? How many of you need peace from the struggle of everything that's been going around us? Not just the virus, but all of the election stuff. There's been no peace. We don't see peace. We see turmoil in our world. We experience turmoil in our world. We are in the midst of an upside-down, tumultuous time, full of turmoil, full of suffering, full of frustration. But the Advent brings peace. Boy, do we need that message. Boy, do we need this peace that surpasses all understanding. The Advent is the display of peace. It's a transformative peace. And in the Jewish mind, the word peace means shalom. And this peace means this. A person's total well-being as a result of being in harmony with God. The peace that comes is a harmonious peace where we are right with God. And when we confess our sins and repent and turn back to Him, we can be right with God. And when we are right with God, that peace will wash over us. Have you been in this moment of turmoil and not finding peace? Maybe there are areas of your life that you need to confess, repent, and turn back to your Father. Because the shalom that is promised is only because we can be right with the Lord. And that is why peace can happen. That is why Zechariah proclaims peace. Because he knew that the Messiah would make a way for you and I to be right with the Lord. And in our total well-being, we can feel this peace. We need to allow the peace of Advent to transform us to go before us, because this peace does transform us. We no longer have to live in a space of disharmony with God. We can walk in harmony with Him. You and I can have shalom. Peace does not mean there will be no war around us. Peace does not mean that perfection will happen. Peace does not mean that the suffering will cease. Peace does not mean that coronavirus will go away tomorrow. Peace does not mean that we will have an understanding of, of the election issues and all the stuff surrounding us. Peace does not mean that we will get a job right away. But peace is harmonious living with God where all of that stuff, because we are right with God, doesn't touch us. Because circumstances, when we focus on them, will cause us unrest. But when we focus on the advent and the coming of Jesus, and we focus on being right with the Lord, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Zechariah sang about this. And there's a beautiful benediction that some people give. And it goes something like this. May his face shine upon you and bring you peace. And that's my prayer for us as we come to Advent. At the face, the presence of God will shine upon you. The glory of Christ will shine around you and bring you peace. May His face shine upon us and bring us peace.
Because when you and I live in that shalom, it will confuse the world. But if we allow the unrest and the circumstances around us to steal our peace, to give the enemy a foothold in our lives, we will not feel the peace of God. We need to feel his peace. The six lessons, the wonderful lessons of Advent, suffering, the Holy Spirit, incarnation, redemption, light, and peace are available for you and available for me. Even though suffering doesn't seem like a normal Advent service, (laughs) understanding of Advent, it is true. There was suffering in the Advent, but God redeemed it. May you and I allow these lessons to transform us this Advent season. May we not allow the circumstances of the world to bring disharmony with us and the Lord. May we experience the fullness of his peace. May we see this suffering in our lives redeemed because he came. He visited. And he is here now. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for redeeming. We thank you for bringing light in the middle of darkness. We thank you that you came. We could not make it right in our own selves. But you made a way where there was no way. May we experience your peace this Advent season. May we put these lessons into practice. In your name, amen.